My name's Heidi. My name is Kit, and welcome to another episode of Encyclopedia, the podcast that helps law students to bridge the gap between the study and practice of law. On today's episode, we'll be interviewing Nick Shine, a legal advisor in the Department of Premier and Cabinet. We'll be asking Nick a variety of questions about public law, as well as about his personal experiences within the industry. So let's dive in and hear what he has to say. Hi, Nick. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I might just start um, with a first question being, can you briefly introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. My name is Nick Shying. Uh, I'm a legal advisor in the Department of Premier and Cabinet in the Victorian Government. Um, I'm a Monash alum. Uh, I live in Footscray. I'm not sure what else uh, I need to to let you know, but I, I guess it's great to be with you. And being the lawyer that I am, it's probably worth noting that um, any of my answers here today are my own personal views and not necessarily reflective of my employer, but uh, look forward to the conversation. Well, thanks for the disclaimer, Nick. And yes, thanks for joining the podcast. Can you describe your journey to your current position as a legal advisor in a government department? Yeah, certainly. Um, I have only just started practicing law this year, but I've, I've done a range of different things um, up to this point. I actually started my career uh, in the Royal Australian Navy as a maritime warfare officer and did that for a year before deciding to study law and arts at Monash University. So then I went off and did my studies and during that time did a range of internships in government um, departments and, and also with a sole practitioner solicitor. Um, and I also clerked at the VGSO. Um, and then I was able to start working as a policy officer within the Department of Premier and Cabinet once I'd finished my arts degree, but I was still going on with my legal studies in the background um, for a couple of years there. Um, so I worked in veterans policy. I worked in international engagement policy. Um, and I also spent um, time working as an aide to the governor, um, which is a little bit of a difficult uh, role to explain because it's, it's, it's a very unique one. But I... It's sort of similar to the relationship that an associate might have with a judge in terms of that nature of private staff and involves a lot of stakeholder engagement and event management and delivery. Um, and then I came back to the department as a policy advisor. And during that time, I was working in the international team and doing work on compliance with the Commonwealth Foreign Relations Act, which was introduced last year, and was working closely with the Officer General Counsel during that time. And uh, then a role came up to actually uh, work in that team. And I'd completed all my legal training by that point in time and was admitted. So it seemed like a natural step. And so I've spent um, most of this year uh, working in that role. So that's really the journey to this point in time. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. Like, I'm sort of curious, and it leads into my next question, like your experience within the Navy, did that influence um your decision to go into public law at all? And I guess my question is what made you realise that public law was the area of law you wish to practice in? Yeah, I think the one consistent theme in everything that I've done has been public service. So they're all very different roles, but I guess that's been a, a common thread um, in those different jobs that I've had. And so I think 
it was always something that I was interested in doing and staying in government. Um, and I think I did really gravitate towards those more public law subjects when I was studying. I think that's just always something that I've been interested in. And uh, some of it is kind of, I guess, altruistic, that idea of contributing to something, the greater good, that type of idea. And um, I think most people who I've met who work in the public sector uh, have an aspect of their interest that um, relates to that, even though, you know, that may, you know, on a day-to-day level, it may not be uh, so feature so strongly in, in your work. But I think that definitely influenced my decision-making and um, also having the exposure to what it would be like to work in that role once I was in the department in another role made me realise that it, it sounded quite interesting and would draw on skills and knowledge that I'd already developed in policy roles, but also enable me to pursue my, I guess, to put my legal training to, to use and actually work as a lawyer. So it seemed like a nice kind of marrying of all those different interests and experiences. And I feel like it, it has been that so far. So I've, I'm really glad that I made that decision. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. Um, my next question. So I'm actually a double degree student at Monash. I study global studies um, with my law. And I noticed that you also majored in international relations, just like me. Um, is having a double degree with like politics or international relations advantageous to getting a position within a government department? And sort of a follow-up question to that is, do they still hire straight law students? Yeah, I think they definitely do still hire straight law students. And I don't know that it's it's a deal breaker or that it, it has any significant influence on, you know, the like that there's any one particular type of law student or even person who is is preferred for these types of roles. But I do think that having completed an arts degree and, you know, demonstrates your, and particularly with a uh, major that might be in international relations or politics, I mean, firstly, it's reflective that you're engaged in that particular area, that you're interested in that area, probably means that you've developed knowledge in that area that other people may not have. And I think that there's something to be said about an arts degree in terms of fostering those critical thinking and analytical skills and um, that that can work quite well with the skills that you develop from a law degree as well. So they actually kind of complement each other. Um, and so I, I feel personally that um, those types of skills are critical in my work because it's a very generalist role that I'm in and it's not an area where like often I'm working on things that I don't have any particular legal knowledge of that particular matter so it's more about how I respond to that particular problem and what steps I take, how I research, how I analyse and synthesise information and all of those types of things are, are kind of those core skills that you start to develop through both legal studies but also through arts, I think. Um, so does it set you apart? I don't know, maybe not, but I think it definitely helps. Um, it's reflective of who you are and what you're interested in. And it helps to round out those critical thinking and analytical skills. Well, funnily enough, I'm also doing the arts law double degree, majoring in international relations. Um, it's a common one. Yeah, it is popular. So what advice would you give to students who are unsure of which area of law they would like to practice in? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to really ever know what you really want to do until you're experiencing it. And I think, I mean, even in my own case, I haven't worked in a private law firm, but I have done lots of 
different things within the time that I've been working professionally. And part of that's because I didn't know if I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and I still have a strong interest in public policy. And I think that possibly in the future, I will go back to that or like working in roles that use both skill sets, like legal policy areas. So I think that, you know, taking that idea and applying it to, I don't know what area of law I'm interested in, um, I would suggest taking, seeking as many opportunities as you can to try out different areas. And that's not particularly groundbreaking, but any internship or clerkship opportunities that are there. I mean, I worked, as I say, in probably my second year at law school, I interned, you could call it, but it was very informal um, with a sole practitioner who, who had a, a, a legal practice at a, a strip of shops. And that was just like a really great insight into a whole range of things, working on like criminal matters, working on, um, you know, like wills and estate, like all these types of things that I wasn't particularly um thinking that I was going to specialise in in the future, but it gave me a really um, good insight into some of that and just to have that experience of working with um, clients who would walk in off the street. Um, and so all of those types of experiences help to shape your sense of what you're interested in. And then I think obviously graduate programs are great in the sense that they give you that rotation through um, different practice areas. I didn't go down that path, but I'm also fortunate to work in um, a role where it's public law, but public law is so broad and it involves a whole range of different issues. Um, so I am gaining exposure to, you know, planning and environment uh, laws, to energy regulation, to FOI processes, to royal commissions, parliamentary processes, um, constitutional matters. And so within, you know, this kind of broad area of law being public law actually I'm gaining a lot of exposure and that helps me to to think about what bits interest me and where I might like to potentially down the track um, focus you know my career into a more specific aspect of of public law. Yeah that's really interesting so we like to give students sort of like a snapshot of what life looks like as a lawyer and like the broader sort of work life so how do you maintain a work-life balance? Well, I'm really fortunate. I think um, government has a really, or certainly the Victorian Public Service has a really strong emphasis on work-life balance. Um, that's not to say that there aren't periods where, and roles which are particularly demanding and certainly having been in government during the COVID-19 pandemic, I've worked uh, at times under significant pressure and in difficult circumstances. Um, but I think overall there is a, a strong emphasis on work-life balance and reasonable working conditions. And, you know, in some ways that, that also is, is, a, is a real factor in, in, you know, deciding where you want to work and what type of work-life balance you want or, or what type of lifestyle you're looking for. And I think at different stages, people might want different things. I mean, I've worked in roles that have been really demanding and long hours, and that's been actually enjoyable at that period of time, but I haven't felt like I've wanted to do that forever. And now I'm fortunate that I'm in a role that is demanding, um, but there is an emphasis on having that balance. So I would find that, you know, I'm not expected to work late into the evening or on weekends. Um, and that if there is, an, is a need for working longer hours, that that's recognised through time off in lieu and those types of things. So 
I feel like I'm very supported um, in my role to be able to balance the, you know, my personal life with my work. And in these, these circumstances at the moment where life has its own particular challenges in lockdown and, um, you know, there are certainly people who have children that are at home um, or extra caring responsibilities as a result of the circumstances. And I found my workplace to be really supportive and understanding of those needs and, and pe encouraging people to um, look after themselves, understanding that uh, if they're able to do that, then they're going to be, um, you know, they're going to be more invested in their work and feel more engaged um, and passionate about their work. So, yeah, I would say on that note, um, I have been fortunate where I am that that, that is prioritised. You've mentioned that your work touches on a lot of different areas, such as constitutional law or administrative. You even deal with tribunals. What what area do you mostly focus on in your day to day? It's really difficult, I think, to to have a have one um, because the nature of our work is that we are effectively an in house advisory to um, DPC policy branches, and the nature of our department is that it shadows. We use that term shadows. Um, other departments which lead on policy development and, and service delivery. Um, and so that means that there are branches which cover every particular portfolio. So education, well, a whole range of social policy areas, education, justice, health. Um, then there's economic policy areas. There's an international engagement team. There's governance. Um, and there's Aboriginal affairs, um, first people state relations, as it's now known in the, in the department. And there's digital Victoria as well. So there's just this huge breadth. And, um, you know, often our work is driven by what's coming up on their, you know, their, uh, I guess, workflow. So as something is coming through often to a decision-making point, so if cabinet needs to consider and make a decision on a particular issue, or if the premier is being consulted on a particular issue, or it's relevant to the premier's private office to be aware of a particular matter um, then that's when DPC will become involved and then we will be engaged to provide advice on legal issues that might arise you know in that particular context and so it's difficult to kind of say like our work you know that it has this kind of consistent theme but I think often uh, it will be statutory interpretation so um, if the government is making a decision or it could be say a minister is making a ministerial order or, um, yeah, that there are certain legislative requirements that need to be completed before for that decision to be made in a valid way. Um, that could be, for example, consultation requirements, or it could be that the decision needs to be gazetted. Um, uh, so, you know, our advice could go to what are the steps that need to be completed? Have those steps been completed in the right way and in the right sequence? Are there gaps? Um, and that's quite a common way that we would be, um, or the type of advice that we would be asked to provide. Um, and then, you know, there are other things that we are responsible for. So we coordinate the order for documents process. So parliament can effectively, if you, if you are familiar with the FOI, the concept of freedom of information, parliament can order the government to produce certain documents and, um, uh, that doesn't always happen if, if the government of the day or the party that's in government uh, controls the majority of seats in, in parliament. Uh, but in this case, um, the Legislative Council is the 
House of Parliament uh, that is often making those requests. And so our role is to receive the request and then coordinate with relevant government departments and agencies to respond. So that could be they would conduct searches for documents and they would receive legal advice from the VGSO, the Victorian Government Solicitor's Office. And then we would brief um, on, I guess, the implications of either withholding or releasing certain documents, legal risks um, as well. So, I mean, that's just one particular example where OGC, my uh, branch, actually is owns that process, if you like. Um, but uh, I think it's very hard to kind of narrow down uh, what my day looks like. Uh, I guess I would say that as because our work is is often in that reactive way, I could be working. I would expect that when I come on in the day, I might have a sense of what I might be doing, three to four, you know, different bits and pieces that I need to look at. Often our advice is provided in the form of an email. Um, we might also be inputting advice into a brief to, say, the Premier or a brief which covers a submission prepared by another department which might be going to Cabinet or a Committee of Cabinet. And so... Um, it, it can be quite high level, if you like, um, and quite short or a particular um, issue within the context of a broader policy matter. And so I might be working on those and sort of diving into an issue for a few hours and writing a relatively short advice and then moving on to another one. And then often urgent matters will come up as the day progresses. So that's very much that in-house type nature that you're probably getting the sense of that might exist as well in a, in a private setting in a, in a business. Um, on more complex and long-term matters or um, very legal technical matters, we might brief those out to, say, the VGSO or seek advice from the Solicitor General um, as, I guess, the most uh, authoritative legal um, uh, advisor within government. So then our role would be to instruct them on what we're seeking advice on and then by, for example, preparing a brief to council. And then uh, once we've received that advice, to be able to translate it into the formats that I've just mentioned. So it will be a much longer memo in that context. And our role there is to understand and succinctly capture what the legal issues are and, and I guess what the answer is, if you like, um, for the policy decision maker. Yeah, that's really interesting. Obviously, a lot of advice givings. And how much of that touches upon uh, human rights or issues of human rights? Well, I think um, the Charter in Victoria is a really significant, um, I guess, piece of legislation. And uh, we, you know, under the Victorian Public Service Code of Conduct, um, it's actually, I guess, embedded into all government uh, work, if you like, that human rights are considered through uh, advice and decision-making. So it's not limited to a legal context. All policy decisions should have regard to the human rights impacts of those decisions. And that's by virtue of the, the obligations under the Charter. And so obviously there are particular um, circumstances where uh, our branch may be required or asked to provide advice by doing a Charter assessment, which is where, you know, you've got a particular issue or a particular decision, and then you're actually assessing it against um, the requirements set out under the Charter. Now, I haven't actually done that in the time that I've been in the team, so I, I don't want to go into too much detail about that um, because I can't give you all, all of those insights, but I know that that's been um, a significant piece of work that, that is 
particularly relevant in the context of the, the government's response to COVID-19. Um, uh, there are also circumstances where those types of questions may be put to, um, again, say the VGSO, because they have a dedicated team that, that looks at um, charter issues and, and charter assessments. Um, so again, it could be that scenario where it's seen to be a particularly complex issue and is and external advice is sought. And then our role there would be to understand and interpret that back to a non-legal um, you know, client uh, in that in that context. But I would say that, uh, you know, even when it's not as explicit as that, it, it's very much like uh, an, an underlying feature of the way we work. And that reflects, I guess, the obligations set out in the Code of Conduct. How does working for a government department differ from working in public law in a private practice? Look, uh, I don't know if I can fully answer that question because I haven't done that other job. Um, but I guess uh, it, it is a different setting when you're actually within the government department, if you know what I mean. Like we are, we, I guess, are aware of a whole range of, um, I guess, factors that need to be taken into account when making decisions and um, although our focus is very much on legal advice, um, you know, assessing that something is legally accurate or assessing the legal risks and advising on that, I, I imagine that there is a, a different um, style of engagement with the client because at the end of the day, we are working within the same organisation as opposed to working in a private firm advising public sector clients on particular issues. Um, I also imagine there are plenty of um, area or private settings where you might be advising government clients on a whole range of other matters. So, you know, infrastructure projects or, um, you know, major transport initiatives, those types of things where, you know, uh, a private law firm might be advising government, uh, but it's very much on a sort of industry-focused issues. That's quite a different style of practice. Um, I, I also think that uh, we do use, or government departments do engage uh, private firms to advise on particular issues. Just like I mentioned, we might seek advice from the VGSO. Equally, we could seek advice from another law firm. And so that might be based on their particular expertise um, or the nature of the matter. So if there was litigation involved, for example, that could be a scenario where external legal services are sought. Um, so I think it might be that the type of work that you're doing on a particular issue would be quite different. Um, and obviously, as I mentioned, our, our role is, is in that in-house nature, often advising on a very discreet legal matter. Um, or I imagine at the executive level speaking in more kind of on strategic legal issues. Um, whereas on more, I guess, complex or prolonged um, uh, legal matters that require significant resources, that might be more where a private um, firm, where you might find that people who work in public law in a private firm are engaged. Um, but as I say, that to some extent is just a, a, an educated guess um, because I haven't personally worked in that setting. Now, Nick, I'm not sure how much this was the case when you were studying at Monash, but as part of the public law 
and administrative law units, there's a big focus on statutory interpretation, which you've already touched on briefly. But I'm curious, how much of what you do requires statutory interpretation and what unique challenges does that task present? Yeah, I'd say it's a quite a significant percentage of my work would involve statutory interpretation. Um, maybe 50% um, would be of that nature. Uh, and I think the challenges there are that you will receive a question from a client and it's not it's not like could you please advise how this um if there are any issues under this particular act like you may just receive a question and then it's up to you as the legal advisor to identify if there's any relevant legislation and then to look into that and i think with all legal research the challenge particularly when you're working in a generalist capacity is to know when you've to, to find to know where to look and to know when you've looked far enough, um, because at the end of the day, I mean, the databases are great. All of those search tools are great, but it's up to the individual to use their judgment um, to know, you know, and to have that level of confidence that, okay, I think I found the relevant legislation. I think I've captured everything that's relevant to this particular issue. And I'm not going to spend, you know, another 24 hours <laughs> looking into this because time, time is, is always um you know an issue and so you need to be able to i guess exercise that judgment um and and i think that that to be honest i find to be the most um difficult challenge and something that i am developing in time but i think that's through learnt experience that you you know when you've looked where you need to look and that you've kind of followed those those basic steps to source the information and then to actually apply the legislation to the matter um and i find that to be quite enjoyable to do and uh the other thing i guess which is obvious is um how you present the information for the client so rather than just regurgitating legislation to them um you know actually kind of like a law exam you know applying it to the issue and giving them um, a clear answer to the extent that's possible and if there are nuances you know clearly articulating the different risks associated with different options um and and giving them that further reference to the to the legislation if they wish to look there, but understanding that at the end of the day, what they're looking for is, is a clear answer. And that is all the work you need to do to get to that answer for them. Okay, I'm going to take you back to your university experience. What is one piece of advice you would give yourself back in uni? Um. I think that there are a few things I could say, <laughs> but I think that overall, um, perhaps it's because I started working in a professional setting before going to university. And so I found it to be quite a shock to come back from an environment where I was working full time. I was working with, you know, people of all different ages and at all different stages of life. I had responsibilities and expectations placed on me in the positions that I was in. Um, and to then come to uni, I felt like I was back in high school and it was just this very strange experience. And I felt like I'd probably, I probably thought that I'd felt like I'd gone backwards. Like I'd grown so much, even in that it was only a year that I did have that role in the Navy, but it was so formative and influential in my development. Um, that it was a real shock to the system to come back and it was like 
you know, law camp and or whatever it's called and uh, all of those types of things, which are great. But I just realized that I was at a different point at that stage in terms of what I was looking for. And I missed having that responsibility. And I think that led me to try very quickly or to be very career focused from the outset and to be immediately looking for like internship opportunities and all those types of things, which is great in many ways. And it helped me um, have the opportunities that I've been able to secure in, um, to date. But at the same time, there's part of me that thinks that I probably could have been a bit more relaxed about it. And I think that I see this now when I speak to um, a lot of people, I think, you know, like law students who are looking for advice and guidance on applying for, say, graduate positions. And there's a lot of focus, and it's completely fair because I was exactly the same, on getting the opportunity. And I think that's kind of goes back to, to be really reflective, you know, in school, it's all about getting the ATAR, getting into the degree. Then when you're at university, it's all about getting the job. Um, but you don't really think so much about what happens once you get there. And it's not sustainable to constantly get to that next thing that you're looking for and then to go, okay, what's the next thing? Because you kind of forget to enjoy the time where you are at that point in time. And, um, you know, I probably say this to people who are naturally very ambitious and driven that you could probably just like step it back a bit and actually enjoy a little more. doesn't so much apply, I guess, if, um, if you're not that way inclined, but, but that's probably the advice I would give to myself. Um, you know, maybe enjoy those moments. Don't worry so much about what's coming next. Um, don't completely ignore it, but, but, you know, that is a stage in your life that won't come around a second time necessarily and not on those terms. Even if you do go back for further study, you'll be at a different stage in your life. Um, you might have other obligations such as work or children or, you know, whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, be focused on the future, but, but also enjoy the present. Not to say I didn't, but that, you know, in hindsight, I probably was overly um, conscientious about, about um, my career at that moment in time. And uh, I'm glad that I realised it now because I've still got uh, time left to enjoy this stage of life if COVID uh, would ease off a little bit. Um, but, I, but I think that's, that's probably my advice to people and to myself in hindsight. I can identify with a bit of what you were saying at the start there because I was working full-time as a graphic designer before I decided to go back to uni. So after doing the sort of nine to five, Monday to Friday, switching back to the sort of more informal, less structured uni setup was, yeah, a little bit of a shock to the system. And I think it actually helped me prepare for the workload because even when you're deep in assessment territory, it still actually winds up being a bit less work than doing a, a full-time job. But certainly was uh, an interesting break between high school and then uni um, and put me on a bit of a different wavelength to some of my fellow students in first year, at least. Uh, but the next question I've got for you is a concept that arises often in public law is the rule of law. So what does the rule of law mean to you and how does adherence to it affect your work? Yes, interesting question. Um, I think the rule of law it, my understanding is probably no different to yours. I mean, you know, the idea that everyone uh, is obliged to or is is subject to the laws um, of our state and, and country. Um, 
And so no one is above the law. And I think uh, in my work context, uh, I think of that as an individual, as a legal advisor and as a public servant, what my obligations are. So, I mean, in particular, the solicitor's conduct rules and also the VPS code of conduct and which, you know, I'm required to um, adhere to under the Public Administration Act. So, um, you know, I guess in very straightforward terms that, you know, in the provision of my legal advice and in carrying out my work, um, I need to act consistently with those duties and obligations. And then I think um, going back to that example that I mentioned before about a type of legal advice that we might provide, such as when government is making a decision or a minister or the premier is making a decision, um, you know, our advice is really to ensure that that decision is made in a way that is valid so that the decision is, you know, is is a valid decision and is not going to be subject to um, legal risk, I guess, um, or the, you know, that the chance of um, someone challenging the validity of that decision is reduced. But at the end of the day, that's also, I guess, um, ensuring that, uh, you know, government officials are, are aware of the um, steps that they're required to comply with um, in carrying out their duties. So, I think that that's a good example, a very practical example of the way in which my work touches on the rule of law. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's critically important, particularly in a government setting, uh, that government is modelling best behaviour and, and acting in accordance with the legislation that are passed by parliament. Um, and so it's, it's actually quite, uh, you know, a great opportunity to sit in that advisory capacity and to look at those obligations and, and um, you know, I guess, assist government decision makers to, to act in accordance with the rule of law. You've spoken a lot about your work and what you do. So our next question would be, what is the most rewarding part of your role? Uh, look, I think it's probably you become a little bit, I guess, um, desensitised to these things, but uh, I don't know if that's exactly the right word, but you definitely sort of take for granted the context that you're in because it's it's your everyday work. But when I step back and think about it, the opportunity to work on some really significant uh, government policy objectives and and issues and um, decisions, it's it's really um, you know quite a unique opportunity, and they're so varied, and, I, and I've learnt so much about all these different things and they didn't always seem to be the most interesting, you know, at, at, at a given time. So for example, if someone had asked me, you know, theoretically, would I have any interest in energy regulation? I'd probably say no, but then in the context of government responding to a real world issue that has arisen and needing to take action and um, in doing so supporting the community, I think, you know, you realise, wow, this is, you know, I'm just playing this very small part in this process, but if that delivers a positive outcome for the community, um, then it's, it's, a, it's a pretty rewarding thing to do. And so I think it is a good reminder that um, you do need to sometimes stop and actually reflect um, on what you're doing because when you're caught up in the churn of, of work and moving between tasks, you don't always have the opportunity to reflect. Um, but I think that, yeah, that is, that is a great thing. And I also think that, um, you know, I can't speak to uh, every workplace, but I feel as though I've had the opportunity to work on things and have um, responsibility and autonomy that I may not have had in every setting. 
And I think particularly in, in our context, um, you know, being a relatively small legal branch, there's really a focus on, um, you know, taking on that initiative and being proactive. And I, and I think that that's been, you know, that's meant that I've been able to work on some really complex and interesting matters. I haven't been stuck doing document review um, you know, seven days a week uh, for the last six months. So, um, you know, I, I think I look on that and feel pretty fortunate to have had that opportunity. So are there any extracurricular activities or volunteering which you'd recommend to students if they're interested in pursuing public law? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think that can often be the challenge um, when people are looking at where they want to go is that there seem to be less opportunities um, to gain experience in public law. Um, I think at law school, there's, there's obviously a significant focus on the commercial pathway and there are clear, I guess, opportunities such as clerkships that, that are heavily uh, advertised and promoted to students. And so in comparison, it can seem like there's no opportunities in, in the public law space. But I, I think um, something to... to take into account is that you know although there may not be the same level of opportunities in that sense like clerkships uh, there are a range of things that you can do which put you in a good position to um, to I guess secure opportunities in public law things like community legal centers I mean that was another thing I was thinking of before if I could give advice to myself I didn't do that um, but I think that it's a really great experience um, and I mean, certainly it just gives you an insight into frontline legal practice, but it also gives you a lot of those skills and workplace, um, I guess, it, it, you know, you, you understand how to work in a workplace environment, you understand engaging with stakeholders, and, and sometimes it can be, you know, challenging clients in very difficult circumstances. Um, but I think that it also demonstrates that 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 interest in public service. It may not be a public you know, a government body, but it is there very much to support the community. And I think that that's consistent with why a lot of people would choose to practice in public law. And so even if it's from that perspective, I think it's, it's a really positive experience and it demonstrates that you've been consistently engaged in supporting your community. Um, obviously, there are clerkships, and I personally completed the clerkship at the VGSO, the Victorian Government Solicitor's Office. Um, I know that my department um, does have a winter internship and a summer internship, I believe, which are sort of akin to a clerkship. Um, so there are those more formal opportunities, even if they're not um, <laughs> numerous. Um, and, and I think all of those things that you've mentioned, I mean, none of them are really groundbreaking for me to say, but doing things like moots, um, choosing to study subjects like you know, public law electives or international law electives. I certainly did do a lot of that. And I think that's quite a consistent way to demonstrate your interests and to build your knowledge base. Um, and, and then I think as well, you know, if, if it is the public, if, if it's public service more generally that you're interested in, you know, I did a lot of non-legal things, which I think have helped me a lot um, in my current work, given me great insight into the way government works and is structured. Um, so there are things like I know in the arts program at Monash, they have an internship program with the Victorian Parliament. I personally completed one through the ANU at the Commonwealth Parliament. But I mean, that was a, a really great insight. And not all public servants have had the, the opportunity, I guess, to see 
the way parliament works and and how you know an mp or a backbencher like what that actually looks like and how um that functions and i think although you know where i am i'm not in a role that touches directly on that um it's really helpful to understand how your particular role fits into the machinery of government and um so you know thinking more broadly about public service opportunities and experiences that you can have and that package together with your various other legal experiences can actually create both you know a compelling case for you to i guess apply for a public sector role but also give you better insight into government and whether it's something that's going to interest you so thinking about things a bit more holistically and creatively are probably um you know good things to do obviously speaking to people is always a worthwhile thing i think you know it can be different in the public service because recruitment is always run competitively so you know you if you're looking to apply for a job you're going to have to go through that formal application process there's not sort of a scenario where you sit down and have a coffee with someone they think you're great and then the next minute they're offering you a job doesn't quite work like that but nonetheless you know people can give you insights into their experience and and help to kind of demystify government because it's it's a huge it's a huge body um or a huge organization um and to say you want to work in public law or in government um is a very broad thing and there are roles that i wouldn't be suited to in government um that i wouldn't enjoy and uh you know so like any organization it helps if you can understand what aspects uh, align with your skills and interests and then sort of target your focus um on working towards those opportunities uh well nick that's the end of our questions thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day no worries thanks for having me I think our listeners will be able to get plenty of food for thought out of all of the interesting insights you've provided. Yeah, uh best of luck to to law students who might be listening who are going through application processes. It's been a hard time in the pandemic for everyone and definitely a difficult time to be finishing your legal studies, I imagine, but um you know, let's hope that like uh, after other challenges in in different eras, uh that there's a roaring 20s ahead of us. Thanks again, Nick. See you later. If you enjoyed this interview and would like to learn more about other areas of the law, visit our website at encyclopedia.org. That's e n c y c l a w p e d i a.org. Also, follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram to stay up to date with our latest interviews and release dates. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Bye.